the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. So welcome to the Instructor Podcast Green Room Edition, where we look at industry-specific topics. And today I'm joined by two marvellous people. I will let you decide which is the most marvellous. So first of all, Green Room regular Chris Benson. How are we doing, Chris? All is good. I'm having a lovely time. And also join making a second appearance on the show, Sarah Baldock. How are we doing, Sarah? Very well, Terry. How are you? All the better for being joined by you two. And today we are diving into industry-specific topics, as I said. And I'm going back a few weeks on this, because a few weeks ago in the Instructor Podcast Facebook group, which, by the way, if you want to join, make sure you answer the free questions, or you won't be accepted in. I threw it out there and asked what topics you want to covered on this. And Les Hopkinson threw up an awesome topic. I'm going to read that out. So he said, how can the driver training industry be seen as more of an education rather than just passing the driving test? And he clarified, is not just talking about from our point of view, teacher skill for life, he thinks we're all on board with that, but more from the outsider's point of view. How can we change the public's perception of the industry? So, Chris, as the the or one of the leaders, if you like, of the DITC, I will throw to you first on this. Awesome question, Les. Um, oh yeah, I thought that was great. Um, I, I think it always comes down to the three things of head, heart, and pocket. So I think the big thing that isn't isn't broadcast to people, or they don't they don't understand it, or they don't seem to comprehend it, is the monetary benefit of having a driving license. So the jobs you could get that you wouldn't get otherwise, the opportunities that it gives. We've got a habit of saying it's about safe driving for life and focusing on road safety, and a hundred percent, you know, I'm, I'm all about being safe. But actually, opportunities. The employability, the the CV factor, being able to make yourself available and accessible to different companies in different places, that that monetary value would be a lovely figure to be able to say this is what the driving um, driving license gives you. This is this is where you know where there's value in it because if people start seeing a value in it, they'll see it as an education rather than a uh, box ticking exercise i also think the the monetary value of potentially getting professional trading as opposed to being taught by parents or, or friends or whatever because as much as you can learn a lot by being taught from parents and people do and they go and pass a test you know hopefully if you're getting professional trading that's actually going to have longer term benefits and potentially save you things like points on your license fines accidents you know, if you're being taught to go and check certain stuff on your car, it's hopefully going to even save you, you know, cost on, on wear and tear and breakdowns. But we don't know if it does. I said, did say potentially. Yeah. No, th- th- I'm really worried one day that someone's going to actually do that assessment because the figure that it all comes down to is experience. And, and uh, you know, professional driving, well, driving instructor. Um, and, you know, I, I, that's what I do and I believe in it. And I like to think that a good driving instructor um, will provide more than going out with parents. But we don't know how good the parents are. You know, they might be really good at it. If we averaged it out across the industry, I think I'd be more concerned as to whether we can prove our worth. I think if you took whatever was the top performing, and I don't know the metrics because the DVSA haven't got a clue either, um, but if you took that and looked at that, yes, I'd, I, I would like to think that there's going to be a benefit. 
I, I do think sometimes we assume there will be. And that's not me saying there won't be. It's me saying we haven't got figures. And what I would like to see in the future are figures. I think the problem there, and this almost ties into something we're potentially talking about later in the show, is you've got good and bad instructors, as well as you're going to have good and bad parents. So you get some parents that will be awesome. And, you know, you might have 100, 200 hours worth of driving with that parent and they're letting you learn and, and helping you in the right ways. But you might go to an instructor who does the exact opposite and he's just after the money. So I think, it, like you said, it, it swings both ways there. But I'm going to throw this to you, Sarah. So obviously you're working with um, students every day, almost is. Uh, what attitude do you generally see from students? Is it one of, I just want to learn as fast as possible? Do you see something different? And, and if so, what changes do you think we can make to that? I think it varies. I think um, there are some that, yeah, they want to get it done as quickly as possible. And I am a means to an end. So therefore, their parents don't want to take them out to start with. So they have to come to a driving instructor who's got the dual controls and all the rest of it. Um, but then that I also have, I have quite a variety of students at the minute. So I've got some 17-year-olds who I've, you know, had from their 17th birthday up to um I saw a girl today who girl young woman today who's 29 who hasn't driven for several years and has come back to me for refresher lessons and I find the attitudes between the 17 year old some of the 17 year olds not all of them very very different to those that are maybe starting to learn when they're 20 21 and the older students who are much more focused actually want in a a lot of cases have a motive to pass their driving test whereas I find that with some of the 17 year olds they're not ready for it they don't really necessarily want to do it they've got a levels going on they've got you know let's be honest hormones going on there's a whole lot of stuff going on they're thinking about universities and then it's often coming from the parents you're 17 now you've got to have driving lessons off you go and they're not they're not ready for that they're not ready they don't understand the responsibility so as I said some of them not all of them I've had some fantastic 17 year old students who who are absolutely boss it no problems at all but there are a lot who are just not emotionally ready for it um financially ready for it you know in a lot of cases um and it is it is interesting to see the difference between the younger people and the ones that come back to it maybe you know leave it till after university or what have you they're much more focused much more willing to learn so would you almost say there's potentially the problem there isn't necessarily the the 17 year old it's a person behind the 17 year old the parents for example yeah yeah i think so so if, if i was to give you carte blanche uh, and make you prime minister for the day a you would do a much better job on our current one but b what changes would you just if you could do anything what changes would you make to to fix that i think i would increase the age that you can start driving not necessarily i just think that 17 is is too young for some of them and again it's just really difficult because it's not all of them i just but i just think that if we if we increase the the age and i know chris you want the driving test to don't you to be um 18 but i think actually driving itself could probably go to 18 as well because i think that you know my not some of my 19 20 year olds are in a much better place um 
and much more able to deal with all of the things that I'm asking them to do in the car um, rather than the 17 year olds. There's too much going on when you're 17, you know? I, I, I have to agree with a lot of that. I, I think that I, I have no issue with people learning and actually I've gone the other way. Uh, we were doing we've got issues with finding somewhere in the southeast trying to find somewhere for under 17s really challenging i want a field chris i want a field and i want to put a big like uh road network on it and i want to teach under 17 year olds there in a safe environment it's we so we, we had a lovely college car park it's just proving really challenging to make it work we then got a news site just down the road from you uh the, you got a news site uh that then fell through and wasn't going to happen. So yeah, but I we, we started with those at eleven, and then we've now taught them, and they're out on the road. I love that. That was awesome. My now eleven-year-old started at three and a half, um, possibly a bit young, but he was fully insured because uh, Adrian Flux were awesome, um, and they went, yeah, you're fine. You're in a yeah off-road. Fill your boots. But it, it did take him till he was ten before he said, "What are those flashing lights on this?" side of the car for uh which was a you know not my proudest moment as a driving instructor um (laughs) but i think they do learn and Mm. and they do develop a respect for the road and cars the inability to stop what the driver next to them's having to do so that when it gets difficult they don't start fighting in the back seat as much they're aware of it uh you know just with my own kids and you know they're not not as old they're 11 and 11 and 5 but on a blue road they know to turn to to shut the windows cuz you know cuz it's too blowy yeah. um so just little things i think more education i i, I wouldn't want to cut it off I, if if we did say not out on the road you know if there's reasons for it fair enough but i think we need to look broader at education you know, it, it's an opportunity for me to get on my soapbox about the theory test again because it's crap and we're rubbish at it. We we need to bring it into classroom, be that Zoom, you know, real classroom, face to face. You know, sixth form, sixth forms could do with it. Yeah, oh, and even younger, bring bring back people going into schools and education about road safety, which I know some yeah. councils say they do, but they tend to just go in and try and scare them about how dangerous it is. But let's get them thinking about making good decisions. There is um there is a an Instagram account that I follow and I can't remember. Apologies, I can't remember the name. Um, but she is a um an ex primary school teacher and she goes in and does road safety workshops workshops with primary school children that that sort of age. And some of the work that she does is absolutely fantastic. And that I don't understand why that's not done in every school. I don't see why we don't have that. You know. They, they, you know, a lot of these kids um, don't understand how roads work. They don't walk anywhere. They're driven everywhere. The helicopter parenting comes into that a little bit where you've got parents that um, mould their children's lives to the nth degree. So they're not um, they're not developing their own sense of risk. They're not developing their own sense of how to make a decision quite often when I take on a, a 17 year old, a lot of the work that we do to begin with is helping them think you know teaching them how to think for themselves how to make a decision what is a diff what is a dangerous situation quite often you know something will happen and we'll stop at the side of the road and we'll talk about it and I'll say well what were the risks what were the dangers and they're like well I don't know I don't know what you mean yeah how can you be 17 and not 
understand the level of risk of a road. And and COVID's added to that. The the move that I, the one I know is mine, so I'll say that one. Um, you can work out the others. Uh, a someone who's in year seven now, so eleven year old in secondary school this year. The last proper year they'd had at school was year four. Yeah. And there's that that leap between the two and the growing up that's happened or should have happened inside of that period of time to understand risk, be able to cross the road safely because, you know, they're now traveling, traveling back. And we had a tragic case where uh, a, a, a child is a, a child, year nine lad um, mm. was pushed in front of a minibus and was killed. And you wonder how much of that is that they'd forgotten about the dangers. Yeah, of because course. They hadn't been out there dealing with those things and, and having that on a day-to-day. And, and you do. I've gone back to being in a dual-controlled car yesterday, trying to remind my brain that I could actually stop it when I've been out and about in non-dual-controlled cars recently. Um, I, I had to just it, bring it to the front of my mind, whereas it used to be my feet would move without my brain thinking. Um, I found that, though, when we came out of lockdown and I drove for the first time, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is really, it feels really weird. So for the kids, it must just be, I don't know, it must be mad. Uh, Yeah, I think I largely agree with that, what what you're both saying there. I think I I disagree, actually, with you both, uh, with the age thing. I don't care about that age. I I don't believe that would make a massive difference. This is obviously just my opinion. I, I... Yes, in theory, the the further back you push a driving test, the in terms of age, the more mature people are going to be. But we have to find a line somewhere. It's like, okay, well, do we reconsider the age of people can have sex? Do we reconsider the age people can vote? And I know these are all things that are debatable, but from my experience, I don't see an awful lot of difference between 17, 18, 17, 19. But um, again, that's just, just my personal experience. What if it was, which was my, where, where the initial point came from, where I upset a number of people on Facebook, um, uh, that if you moved the test to 18, but started the learning at 17, so you could start to learn at 17, how would you feel about that one? Um, I, I think I, I wouldn't mind that as much. It's not something I'd be massively pushing for, but I wouldn't be against it, definitely. I think that because, you know, that's 17 to 18, you, you're focusing more on... I mean, it, to be honest, it's, the, the age is almost irrelevant for me when I think of it that way. It's what I like about the idea you put there is learning for a year, potentially. And, and that's not saying you have to do a set number of hours. And we know we've seen that doesn't always work and how many. And, you know, if you say you've got to do 46 hours, well, some people need more than that. But they'll be thinking, well, I've done my 46, I'm going past now, you know, so... I don't think there's ever going to be a right or wrong answer there. But I think a lot of the stuff we're talking about there is the stuff that we can't do. Now, yes, we could all club together 40,000 driving instructors and put some sort of petition to the government. But, you know, let's be honest, we can't even answer a survey with more than 1,000 people. So I, I think I want to look a little bit now at what we can do as sort of individual instructors or, um, I use the word collectives, or associations, whatever, what we could do as individuals to help promote that that sense of road safety and responsibility. And I would like you both to remember that, because we'll come back to that after I've uh, set the table and introduced you all properly. So uh, let's uh, dive in with uh, you first, Chris. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about you and uh, what you do? 
I am the co-founder of the DITC, the Driving Instructor and Trainers Collective, uh, signposting a place for the industry. We recognised that no one knew where to find stuff. Um, so companies were struggling to contact driving instructors and driving instructors were struggling to know that there were companies doing whatever was needed for driving instructors that we didn't know we needed. So we founded the DITC uh, largely off the back of uh, COVID and my incessant want to create networks amongst instructors. And, uh, you know, it's now going from strength to strength and we're getting some recognition from uh, people that are able to make a difference, which is great. And uh, uh, I also run a driving school. I specialise in theory training. And as of tomorrow, uh, at least when we're recording this, uh, I have a book, uh, but it's not a driving book. It's a kid's book. Okay, cool. Uh, yes, you have your book out. What's your book called, Chris? I'm uh, so no. Is there a monster? Is there a monster? Is there a monster? Um, and we'll let, people, we'll let people decide if that's some kind of children's book or indeed a horror. <laughs> okay, Sarah, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, well, uh, compared to Chris, there's not really much to say. Um, I'm a driving instructor based in Maidstone in Kent, um, and I've been. Um, practicing my skills now as, a, as an instructor for about four years I'm just about to renew my first green badge um, I managed to get my DBS done um, which was quite a challenge um, and yeah that's about it really saying there's uh, not much to say I'll, I'll add something to it and say that you were one of my most popular ever green room episodes so oh, really? uh, I'll throw that in there yeah Oh, that's nice to hear. Thank you. Like the third or fourth episode I did. So, yeah, so that's good. Um, and myself, obviously, I am Terry Cook of the Instructor Podcast. You are listening to the Green Room Edition. If you enjoy these shows and you would like to get more, feel free to go and check out theinstructorpodcast.com. You can sign up to the premium subscription over there. But for £10 a month, you get all kinds of extra content, as well as some exclusive discounts, stuff with Bob Morton's client-centered learning, um, things with GoRoady, and a new one, which I can't actually say... Because when this episode's coming out, we're not releasing the discount until tomorrow, Sunday, the 1st. So if you listen to this, make sure you listen to the one on Sunday and you'll find out the new exclusive discount we've got there as well. But that's at www.theinstructedpodcast.com. But let's dive back into the show because we we're just talking about what we can do as instructors, how we could influence. Now, we may not be able to influence everyone because we, um, you know, I've got quite a big reach, but it's not that big. So let's go to you first, Sarah. How, how do you think that we, as potential individual or small collection of instructors, could influence people in their driving? Um, I, I, oh God, this is so difficult, isn't it? I think it's, um, you, you just need to, the only thing that I can do is use my social media. I, I have um, an Instagram account. I have used Facebook a little bit, but I'm not overly keen on Facebook. Um, and just you know give people some ideas if you've got a 15 or a 16 year old child who's coming up to um you know 17 start thinking about their driving lessons now start looking around start promoting it start talking to them about what you're doing in the car you know start getting them to look at road signs all that sort of stuff um just to try and uh, get their awareness up a little bit you know like Chris was saying earlier on about his child in the back of the car, knowing that on a motorway, you need to put your windows up and all that sort of stuff. The more that you talk to your children about stuff that you're doing, they're like sponges, children, when they're young. They just take it all on board. They absorb it all. 
Um, and if you, you know, involve them enough in what you're doing, I don't know whether this is acceptable behaviour, but I used to let my children change gear when, when I was driving. So they, you know, I would obviously do the clutch, but they would be able to change it from first, second, whatever it was, um, you know, put an indicator on, let them put the indicator on, all that sort of stuff. It's probably not as easy to do that when they're strapped into you know child seats and all that sort of stuff but there is stuff that as parents we can do we can you know as you would you know teach your kids to cook why would you not teach them about roads road safety driving what can be expected when they turn 17 100 percent agree with that i think that you know we often forget and not just us as instructors but everyone forget that kids are watching what you're doing even if it's subconsciously you know i a little while ago, I can remember reverse uh, taking my steps on the school, and well, a few years ago actually, but reversing out my drive, and he's asking why I'm going so slow. My mum usually goes faster than this. I'm like, well, does your mum look out at window? No, <laughs> right, okay, we'll have a chat, and then coming back, I, I, yeah, it was a left turn. Why are you signalling here? My mum never signals here. Oh, okay, right. Here's why, and it, it's that he's picked up that behaviour from watching his mum drive, and then he's seen me, and hopefully, I made uh, an impact in it. So I think that if you know, whether it's your kids, your friends, kids, whatever, if we can do that, they might even have an influence on their friends then. And, you know, when they're talking about it, oh, well, my dad or my mum does it this way because of. So I think that's a definitely something we can be doing. What, what about you, Chris? Anything that you think that we as instructors can be doing? I was going to buy Twitter, but apparently someone else has got in first. So Did you um, only have 40 billion? Yes, that was the problem. Um, no, but I, I, I think there's that, isn't it? it? It's about what gets spoken about, what gets heard, what gets seen. My my five-year-old, I've I've just taken the um the the measure of, of on the school run moving him to the front seat. And he saw, he he went, I can see all of this now. To clarify in his booster and everything else, but um uh, just to have said it. Um but he I can see all I can see all these things going on. And we've had in that just in this last week massive conversations about people's driving habits. And he's he's watching. He's seeing it. And because I'm giving him the opportunity, and I, I did it with the other one as well, um, to have that conversation, we're we're then engaging about it. And he already knows. He knows what to do at traffic lights he points out the people that are doing it differently there was a guy on his mobile phone and I, I was really pleased to hear him say and you don't do that um you know so it, he's seen that, that I'm, I'm trying to I'm not perfect you know I'm, I, but I'm trying to show him that this is how good driving good behavior works and this is how we should deal with other people um and I just think if we can do that I would like to see more parents taking some assessment or tuition or being involved in that bit of the process. And I think a lot of that's down to instructors asking. I, I had a chat with a lady this week um, and, and said, you know, she said, oh, I noticed on your website that you let parents come and sit in the back to see how you're teaching for when you're doing private practice. We're big on private practice being a, um, a, a joint venture. And uh, I said, yes, alternatively, get in the front, get your, your son to sit in the back and you have the assessment done. And the, the, the silence was tangible. Um, and, and I said, not everybody likes it, but it's really worth doing. And I said, we're nice about it. It's, it's tongue in cheek. But 
if we see the the habits that you've taught him already, we can pick up on them sooner. Um, we can we can deal with them in in that way. So I, I think more engagement in in general has got to be a good thing. Sadly, we're led by the minimum standard because that's all we ever talk about, and passing the test, which is a minimum standard. And then they change the highway code and don't do it very well. So we get we get tarred with that brush of you know tr- trying to not be the average driver out there. Uh, I don't know about you guys. It's that phrase of yes, but you're a driving instructor. The only reason you do it well, the only reason you do, the only reason that Terry looks out the back of the car is because he's a driving instructor. <laughs> There's, the thing is, though, there's some truth in that, because yeah. before I became a driving instructor, I'd stopped. Yes. And the reason I keep doing that, I actually spoke about this in a podcast recently, is because I'm talking about it every day with my learners. So I'm not doing it because I'm a driving instructor thinking I have to uphold this certain way of doing it. Because I'm teaching it to, to my learners, it's fresh in my mind, which goes back to what you're saying about the the parents having an assessment. It's like, how many adults do we know? Or I shouldn't say adults. How many drivers do we know that'll say, I won't pass my test now, but still yeah. think it's acceptable to go and drive? So, you know, that's something we can look at tackling as well. I mean, I'm going to throw some ideas out now, and apologies if this goes off onto a bit of a rant, but I'd love, you know, some your, your thoughts on this. So I think, first of all, uh, you you mentioned Sarah in particular about social media. Your Instagram account is awesome. You know th- that was the thing that first got me in touch for you to come on the show because I love the way you present stuff. It's open, it's honest, it's kind. It's it's very even with the people like you get that have been idiots on there. It's still quite you're not calling them idiots like I would. You're being pleasant about it, and so I think that it does have an impact because you know what, ninety percent of people that see that account will take notice of what you're saying but if you can affect one or two people and every driving instructor can affect one or two people all of a sudden you're reaching hundreds of thousands and i don't think that as instructors we appreciate that that you're not going to change the world overnight by doing a facebook post but you might change one person and this jumps on to something we'll talk about later on but i've seen it again today with a, a god a driving instructor on social media complaining about another instructor that's put a post aimed at students and they're saying, oh, only instructors will see this. I'm like, no, they won't. There will be some students that see it. And hopefully one of them, even just one of them, it might save someone's life by seeing it. So I think that we can be more positive and more engaging and not just chucking up past pictures on the social media and actually being like, this might help you, this might help you. There's other stuff we can do as well. Now, all right, this isn't going to be appropriate for everyone because a lot of this will come down to how you view how you view your role as a driving instructor. But you know, a step back. I'll look, take uh, me as an example for a moment. You've got the Five Minute Theory podcast. Well, I'm reaching loads of people with that. That's helping not just learners, but it's helping everyone. It all talks about the safe option. There's other options as instructors. Why can't we go to our local school and say? Could I come in once every, once a term and have a chat with your sixth form? No promotion. I just want to talk about road safety. I could do a theory training course and incorporate road safety into it just once a year. And do you know what? As much as you're not promoting anything, it would promote you. Those guys are going to come to you. The ones that like you will come to you, and there you're more likely to get on with. Again, going back to social media, every 
bloody town, city, county, all has their own like local Facebook groups, community groups. Well, you be the driving instructor on that group and you'll go in and, and contact the admin and say, can I, every Thursday, do a live Q&A? And if they say no, because they don't want to be seen to promote in a certain driving instructor, get your own community group formed, start your own one and do that live. And you know what? Yes, it'll take you an hour a week and it'll take you some time, but you might influence some people to drive safer. And on top of that, you're going to get more custom through it as well. So I think there are things we can do that are more grandiose and are on a bigger scale and impact bigger people. But again, I think it largely depends on the role that you have or the, the role that you want. And if you're someone that, that wants to deliver driving lessons and doesn't want to run an awesome Instagram account like yourself, Sarah, or create the DIT secrets or whatever it is you're doing, then that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But we can't sit here and complain about road safety and people not taking driving seriously if all we're doing is sitting here and complaining about it. We actually need to do something and you just all you need, once a day, go on your Facebook page and post something. This is what this sign means. This is why you don't drive when you've got a cold. This is why you don't drive when you've got a sciatica. Whatever it is, just go with that. And it did turn into a bit of a rant, so I apologise. So, uh, yeah, your thoughts on any of those, Sarah? Um, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I think it's really strange, isn't it, that we when we get our driving licence, that's it we we that's it we are then a driver on the roads and we never have any most ordinary people never have any further training and so it very quickly becomes a case of then you get you get into nice little habits you know you stop checking your mirrors you might coast up to traffic lights all that sort of stuff and I'm the same as you before I did my training I I probably had quite a few bad habits um, that were then ironed out and again like you I practice good driving because it's what I do every single day and so it's fresh in my mind so why do we not have a system in this country whereby full license holders have to have um, I'm not saying you have to do your test again or anything silly like that but some regular training you know we as instructors we're all we're all doing training we know we've, we're fully qualified but any decent instructor is continuing to do their training aren't they you know be it listening to your wonderful podcasts or you know um all the stuff that that is out there for us to do training you know to further ourselves we're doing that but ordinary in inverted commas drivers don't have any of that that's it they get the driving license and and that's it you know no no comeback or anything and actually i had a really interesting um chat um a few weeks ago with my mechanic who um, we, we've got quite close because obviously he does quite a lot of work on my car. I um, mean, he knows what I do and he's interested in what I do. And he actually said to me last time I saw him, can I come out with you for a drive? Will you take me out? He said, how much do you charge? Can you, can I, can I come out with you? And I went, yeah, why? You know, wh what's brought this on? And he said, I just want to see where my driving standard is. He said, because I listen to what you what you say. He said, you're so passionate about what you do. He said, I listen to what you say. And I just want to know where I am in terms of driving. And as we were chatting, it turns out he's got a bus license that he got when he lived in London and he can drive a bus. And I said to him, you are probably pr quite a high standard of driving because you've had further training. You got your license and then you got another license. So you've had extra training to the, the the normal person and on the street you know um 
I haven't been out with him yet because our, our diaries have managed to clash quite a lot. Um, but it's going to be really interesting when I do to see what habits he's got. Um, I've been out with full license holders before who have had a break from driving so that, they, you know, there is quite a, 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 a steep um, lot of work to get them back to where they were before. But this will be really interesting to do that. Um, so, yeah. I um, I think that's actually a perfect example. Because as instructors, I'll use you specifically, Sarah, how you'll talk about your job a lot, you know, with your family, friends, people you meet, whatever, and a lot of it will come over the top of people's heads. But it hasn't stopped you, and you've now affected someone. You've now made someone think about their driving in a certain way, which is exactly what I was saying about the social media. You might have 10,000 people see it and ignore it, but you might reach one person, and then that can make a difference. Is mm. Is the the thing that you've touched on there, is is it respect? That he respects your professionalism, he respects what you talk about, so therefore he wants to hear more. Is, is that potentially what's lacking? And that we've got to take some of the responsibility for that. I think DVSA can take a bit as well. And just about shouting about that it's, it's a, a proper job. And that we're actually experts at it. Um, I, I always remember being with an awesome pupil and pull, pulled back into the driveway. We'd had a great lesson. His mum came over, who was really nice, because she always brought me sandwiches and drinks. And whenever we pulled in, you couldn't ask for a nicer family to be teaching. And uh, and when, when he passed, I got a big box of cider, which I always find alcohol is a strange thing to buy a driving instructor. But, you know... Um, Yes, just realised HMRC probably listened to this. Um, <laughs> I gave it back to them. Um, <laughs> em- empty. But anyway, so uh, we pulled back in and she came to the window to ask what was going on. And he commented on an issue that he'd had with her about flashing headlights. And that I'd agreed with him, not with her. Uh, and see he was right and everything else and she destroyed every bit of work that I've put into being a professional Um, and all the courses that I've been on with I've got a driving license too you know and it was just that moment where I'm there because she didn't want to wasn't able to didn't have time to Possibly, you know, she she wanted someone else to do it because of the family connection. I, you know, I always think teaching your own family is a danger. Um, and it just kind of all came down to that thing of we're all equal because she could do it as well. And that level of respect, if you can get someone to respect what you do, not that you're braver than they are, they are because that's the one that we always get. Oh, you, you've got to be really brave to be a driving instructor. No, we've got dual controls. We're not stupid. We're patient, yes. But, you know, bravery doesn't really come into it. But I feel that there's a lack of respect of of, of the expertise that is over and above, which wouldn't be shown if you had, and I'm moving out of my comfort zone here, if you had a racing driver... We'll go with Lewis Hamilton because I know I'm on safe territory there. Um, if you had a racing driver stood there giving advice about driving, people would be listening and they, they'd be taking it on board of this is good driving. 
it's that thing of what is good driving. It shouldn't be the thing driving instructors do because they're just a driving instructor. It should be because they're good at good at driving and and you know they there's those elements. I remember I, I uh, had the pleasure of meeting the original Stig Perry McCarthy, um, and he was the black Stig, not the white Stig. Um, and uh, he was telling me stories. Um, uh, you know about when he was out with with big name racing drivers, and um, you know they they done it was like a James Bond chase going into fields and coming out again and things like that through towns. And um, he said he always upsets people. Young people say to him, "What's the biggest tip you can give me? Never have your stereo on. A good driver will always want to listen to the car, want to hear the road." And he said, "There's just this moment when he feels that they he loses respect with people because it's not cool." And they they added to that by the Stig always having music playing. And he he, he said, well, "That's just not what I would do ever." You know, why why would any good drive? That's a sign of bad driving is having music playing. And you know, it's that what is a good driver question I think is really important. I've always asked it to pupils. Um, never has one said me. Yet I am the person sat next to them that are asking to teach them to drive, which I find really interesting. Some key things there, I think, and you, I think you spoke about almost our perception as instructors, and I think that's massive. But you mentioned the Lewis Hamilton example. I'm going to uh, give you a slightly different one. In the, I run another podcast, Driving Test Tales. It's on a slight unintentional sabbatical at the minute, um, but I had a wonderful guest on called Sarah Hall, who's um, uh, she, she does uh, racing media and she's a stunt driver and she's she literally just passed apart free uh, this week. So, if, uh, you know, congratulations, Sarah, because I know she listens. Um, but after she'd been on Driving Test Tales, one of my students actually said to me, I wish I were getting taught by her. I'm like, oh, thanks. That's brilliant. Um, why? And she's like, oh, because... And she sort of listened off about being a stunt driver and that was the thing that impressed her. I'm like... Oh, I get that. I completely get it. But I also think that there is an element of how we put ourselves across. And again, this will tie into what we'll speak about shortly, but it's the way people perceive us. Now, I'm going to use another social media example today, something that I'm sure we all see a lot. When you'll get someone, uh, a learner or, you know, hopeful learner uh, that goes onto a Facebook group and types in, I've got my test on this day. Can anyone help me? And what you'll get is about 100 driving instructors essentially calling them an idiot. Now, they don't usually say those words, but, you know, you read between the lines, they're calling them an idiot. And do you know what? If one or two did it, I'd be fine. But it essentially turns into this massive pylon. And if I was that learner, or if I was a learner, or if I was Joe Public looking at that, I would just, I would be ashamed looking at that. Not that what people are saying is incorrect, but a lot of the time the way it's phrased, because it goes from being polite to being rude and obnoxious and intrusive, and just the amount of it, why does it need 50, 60 people to tell them they're wrong or to tell them they're stupid? It doesn't. It needs a couple of people, because if it's just one, then it could just be one opinion. So maybe two or three backs up. You don't need then everyone jumping in. And I think also, so I think that's perceived really badly. Now, I know full well there's going to be people listening to this that'll be like, oh, yeah, but they shouldn't do it. They say, well, no, you're probably right. But also, they don't necessarily know any different. What they've been told for the past year 
is that they want to get a driving test booked as soon as they can because there's this backlog. It's like telling people uh, they're running the fuel, uh, they run out of fuel. Everyone goes and buys fuel, which is the last thing we should do, but they're going and doing it. So you go and tell people there's a backlog of driving tests, they panic, they go and do it rather than speak to an instructor first. And they're not doing anything wrong. It's not illegal. It's not wrong. They're not breaking any rules. It's not the smartest thing to do. So I just I look at the way we put ourselves across sometimes. And I am saying we because I put stupid stuff online sometimes. We all do. But I look at the way we put ourselves across profession. It's no wonder we get people saying, I've got a driving license too, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's put a pause on that topic for now because there is a little bit of news you were speaking about before that we wanted to touch into. And I believe you've got some... I'm doing air quotes on this in the podcast again, but news for us, Chris, around uh, driving tests and potential days of driving tests. I've got I've got fairly official rumour, um, and I don't normally go down rumour, but I think this is something that is worth everybody being aware of so that we understand what's going on and potentially we can feed back. So, you know, being able to let people know um, if you have information that you want to feed through to DVSA, the NASP website is your best bet. Uh, there's a form on there, really easy to fill in, and they do listen and they do feed it across. So um, fully in support of that. So the uh, DVSA are under the impression that we want Saturday tests filled. We, we want them available. Uh, so that's what they're going to do. And that sounds really good because when you look at the diary, if you had a, a week diary in front of you, Monday to Friday, hopefully decent availability, although it's all booked, and then gaps at the weekend, you know, they're days of the week where actually we could fill that with tests and reduce the waiting list. Sounds really good. Problem is that examiners have got a five-day uh, contract. So for them to be contractually working the Saturday instead of overtime, we've got to lose a day in the week to fill the Saturday. So an examiner will be being asked to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and then the Saturday, and we'll be losing the Thursday out of that examiner's diary. I did a survey of, of driving instructors uh, on a number of different platforms, and they all came out at around 98, 99% against having Saturday testing. They would rather have Monday to Friday. A lot of instructors aren't working weekends, so it's causing issues there. But it's that loss of the day in the week that that's better for them. And on top of that, it's going to cost more to take the test. And switching tests have got to be like for like. So actually, if you book a Saturday test, you're stitching yourself up with you know trying to trying to find um, cancellations, fast tracking, whatever the various options are, um, to be able to find that alternative test date. You're causing yourself a, a challenge there, um, and we all know that with the automated systems in place, um, it's not an option of cancel it and then rebook because when you go to rebook, it's already gone. So. Yeah, that that's the 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 air quotes news um, because it is it's definitely we've had people speaking to examiners who've been asked to do the Saturdays and that's how it's 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 going to be working through and that's the reasoning that's that's been given. I expect the first we'd hear of an uh, an official announcement around that is X number of thousand extra tests, but they're not extra tests. Saturday tests have been added to the system. 
and they won't mention that it's been robbed from somewhere else because uh, that's not good politics. Um, a bit like when a couple of years ago when the government said they'd found all these extra nurses and really what had happened while they'd replaced the ones they'd sacked in the first place. Yes. Yeah. R- ro- robbing Peter to pay Paul, isn't it? Yeah. It, it just, you know, it, it depends how you want to spin it. Um, so, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's the first thing. And the second thing... I... Sorry, I'll just touch on that before you, you come in with the second bit, because for me, uh, you know, I'm not very peanuted, so I will just keep it simple and say, just bloody stupid. I don't get the point of it. Like you said, it's trying to make themselves appear to be doing something. You know, like you say, we can then create this figure of we've created these extra test slots when you haven't. You've, you've swapped it across. And, and even if you're looking from a different standpoint, so... I am the learner currently being taught by you, Chris. All of a sudden, well, my test is booked for six months away, but I'm ready now. All of a sudden, all these Saturday spots come available. Excellent. Great. Book one. Chris, I found this Saturday slot. You then say to me, I don't work Saturdays. Oh, no. Right. Okay, cool. I'll go on Facebook and I'll see if an instructor can help me. I go on Facebook and say, oh, can anyone help me? And I get a lot of 60 instructors telling me I'm a bloody idiot for booking it without an instructor. And then the whole thing goes back to full circle so yeah um i probably tell i'm not the biggest fan of that idea but uh, any thoughts on that anything to add to that sarah um only i i, I just wish they would do something uh, no the saturday slots for me yeah neither here nor there we have maidstone has um some guys will do overtime someday seven oaks do as well um so we, we kind of have that a little bit already here um but i i, I wish they could do something about the slots that are being wasted you know um and people not turning up and uh, you know anybody can book a slot um and then just not turn up for it you know then there's got to be some sort of i don't i don't know what penalty or something i don't know but it just breaks your heart you know when you look on facebook again um and the you know instructors go oh I was at the test centre we get this a lot in Maston I was at the test centre and and there were three examiners and only one test went out because the two the other two were no shows and you just think oh why where, where were they what are they doing why are they not showing up for these tests you know that to me is is more of an issue than than yeah swapping a day in the week which makes no sense at all and I think overtime's great and and you mm-hmm. know if, if it's that I think the problem is um, we we. It could be a local thing. I don't think it is. Um, we're losing a lot of experienced in- examiners. Um, I know of an LDTM test centre manager that has uh, is now retiring. Um, John, John Sheridan uh, from DVSA um, HQ, uh, who was you know the the silver tongue of the DVSA. If they needed to make an apology, he was the one that did it. Um, and uh, but. He, he did it so well. Um, you, you thank them for getting it wrong. And, um, you know, I don't know what they're going to do now. Hopefully not make any mistakes. Um, so, you know, it, he, he's going and that's massive experience. I spoke to him and I jokingly said, you know, what are, the, what are they going to do? And he's there are people coming through who are, you know, young and, and enthusiastic. But they those get drawn away from the front line that are the ones that we get to engage with on a daily basis. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, overtime's great, but most of them don't want to do that overtime. Um, and it's, we can't complain because we, as instructors generically across the country, people have cut back. They, they're they doing less. Um, and 
the, that capacity is is pushing on us, and we're doing the same thing, so we can't really complain. But yeah, it's it's a challenge, and I don't get what happens when people don't turn up to tests. I know things happen, hmm. but for the quantity that we're seeing, and Maidstone seems, you know, I, I know it well. It seems to be worse than others locally. So, yeah. and um, I think it's made worse as well by the fact that we haven't got enough in examiners in Maidstone at the moment. You know, so when slots are not taken up, it's it seems worse because that you know I've got what three that are trying to get tests in Maidstone. There's just nothing. There's just no availability at all. And it's just really frustrating when you hear two people didn't turn up for a driving test slot. I think that's that's one of the things I'm really aware of at the moment, which, which brings us on to the, the, the second bit of news, um, which is we know our area. We know where we are. And we assume the whole country is the same. Um, so... I had uh, the BBC got in touch. There's a podcast going going out. Um, uh, it's apparently it's the second best podcast in the country, um, and it's uh, going out. I, th- I think you know sometime in the week. Short article about the reduction in the amount of people applying for provisional licences, and I, I firstly said I'm not the one to ask because the ones that phone us have got one. Hopefully, um, so we don't speak to the ones that aren't. Uh, so we've got a, a very, you know, um, one-sided view of it anyway. We're also up against a baby boom. We're coming out of that baby boom year, so there's less. There's going to be less people applying anyway, if it's like for like. But they were saying that there there is this reduction, and is it because of the waiting list? Is it because of um, the lack of instructor availability? Uh, Yes, probably. There's some some of that in there as well. So so that's something else I think for us all to be aware of, that there is this potential reduction in the number of provisional licences being applied for. And we've all been slightly, I'm not going to say spoiled, actually, because I think it's been bloody hard work. Um, and instructors have got better at saying no, but it's a really stressful thing. But we, we've been you know, benefiting from the amount of business that is available um maybe we do need to start planning for slightly more difficult times especially with you know the cost of energy going up and everything else um it it's gonna it's gonna hit us uh we've already seen the fuel price you know um causing causing challenges and it's probably only going to get worse um so all of those factors it's it's a a symptom of of something uh something worth worth being aware of um so you know i i did say i know some um and uh, and he's rather good at podcasts just uh, say that again chris you just broke up massively (laughs) did i I genuinely did was was it just because i was paying you a compliment (laughs) no you did (laughs) so I said I know a really good chap who's slightly further north who's rather good at podcasts and would be happy to to share. Is it the same across the country? And that's that's one of the things I love about about the instructor podcast. Uh, when when I get to have a chat with you, I I get a balanced view because of the different areas. Because you know we're we're oh I'm I'm literally on the outskirts of London. I technically live in London, um, but I'm also in Kent, and it, you do see a different view to everything. You know. Uh, I know I said I wasn't going to mention having parties in the garden, but um, I think that's one of the things that I didn't realise locally. Everyone laughed about it. I spoke to a couple of colleagues from further north and they were genuinely angry. 
Um, that it does seem to be that the further away from London you get, the more more seriously it's being viewed. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think we have to remember that what we see at our test centre isn't all of them. So yes, um, yeah, I think that anyone that is, is you know concerned of the cost of living that kind of stuff definitely go back check out the green room number seventeen uh, whole sort of show on it there go. On. Get some uh, there were some wise words from from me and uh, Bob Martin over there, and I think Chris was there as well. Um, so so yeah, definitely go back and check that out. And also, I'm not going to dwell on this because we I think I mentioned it every single episode, but there will be tough times ahead. So make sure you're doing your marketing and planning and budgeting and all that kind of stuff now. Um, let's step away from that then, and let's get back onto the, the the second thing I wanted to mention, which is very much the extension of what we were talking about earlier. And and it's it's again it's that's kind of the perception of instructors, but the, the way I want to look at this initially is why don't people growing up want to become a driving instructor? Why isn't this seen as a desirable profession? I think that that you've come on the show before, Chris, and, and said that it's something that people fall into. They don't plan on doing it, fall into. I think when Dan Hill came on, he phrased it quite well and that most people that become instructors, and I include myself in this come into it because they failed at something else. And it's like, I think back to when I was a youngster, so many, many years ago now, and my friends wanted to be truck drivers, footballers. I wanted to be a radio DJ, which I'm almost doing now. You know, this, this is massive variety of things people wanted to do, but no one ever wanted to be or wants to be a driving instructor. So, I'm going to kind of throw it over to you first, Sarah. Why Why do you think, or am I right in saying that, first of all? And if so, why do you think no one actually wants to be a driving instructor? Um, do, does anybody know what a driving instructor does? Because when you are, the only time as an adult you look for a driving instructor is usually when your child turns 17 and you want someone to teach them to drive. We've touched on this before. Um either because you don't want to take them out you don't trust them in the car it's very difficult to teach your own children so you look for somebody else to do it but actually do they know that we have pink licenses we have green licenses what those two differences mean that we have different grades that what those grades mean do they know um, how much training we have to go through in order to get those badges and and actually to keep those badges as well and that you know do they think that you anybody can teach somebody to drive? Of course, anyone can teach someone to drive. But in order to be able to charge money for those services, there is a lot of that you have to go through and continue to have to go through in order to keep those badges, isn't it? So I don't think it's um, it's not something that the general public think about until they need us. I think that's a really good point. I, I don't think that even for myself, I didn't know anything about the driving instructor profession. And, you know, the more I speak to learners, the more I agree with what you're saying there. I think back to when I worked with Red Driving School, everyone assumed that I was employed by Red, you know, because I had that banner over me. And I think that'll go for anyone that works in a driving school. The student, unless they've been told otherwise, will make that assumption. So what what would you think, Chris? Do you, do you think that people want to go up to be a driving instructor or, or any reasons why on top of what Sarah just put forward? I've never met one. Um, <laughs> I I don't think that 
the qualification process is the thing that we can hold up and be proud of because as a driving instructor because i think the thing that if you had to write down skills of a driving instructor what you use every day that's not what we're tested on we're tested on can we if you look at the standards check itself it's are they going to be safe and are you teaching them correctly as in is there is there a goal is there development happening um it's not are you good with people it's not are you good at running a business and it as you said it's not seen as being a business all of the things that if i was going to write the cv for you know the job description sorry for for a driving instructor all the things that would be important to me on that list the bottom of it would be the things we're actually tested on and if if you then look at the testing process the part one this is my big bugbear at the moment and hopefully i've got a, a meeting with dvsa coming up to discuss it the part one gets treated like we tell learners to do the theory which is go and do it and then come back to us later and yes there's a set of books but actually most people haven't read them um that's like going to your doctor and then not knowing the biology of of, of the human body you you need to know how the road works. You need to understand that. And it's it it's not. It's can you answer the questions? Um and then you go get to your part two, if you're lucky enough to pass, because at the moment that revision material doesn't contain a fair amount of the stuff that is on the actual test. So that's that's my bugbear. You then move to the part two. Can you drive well? Fair enough, but that's nothing to do with teaching. That's, that's being able to deliver it and, and do it. So it, you then get to the proper stuff, which is the part three. And if we go back prior you know, to, to the old system, roundabouts weren't even covered because it wasn't a PST. We're now moving into a bit of a hybrid world of, of people trying to figure out how to make the training be enough. And then to, to you know, I'm a big fan of blended training with the part one, two, and three being all all linked together, but that's still not happening. It, it, it's generally being a, a part three approach. This is how you do how you structure a standards check part three, and and you work to that. You you then look at what do you need? They go out, you know, people pass pass part three to qualify, or, or they're working on a pink badge, which is potentially even more scary if it's not correctly supported, and. What skills do they need that they haven't been taught? That working with working with a teenager is mm. is a massive challenge, and everybody else that does it has qualifications to support that. We don't. We figure it out. We work it out. We're either successful or we're not. I just think that recognition, you know, of those things there, and and a lot of that we've got to do ourselves. We we've got to safeguarding podcast number. Uh, oh, season three, episode two. He's good, isn't he? <laughs> um, I, I, I couldn't do that, but yeah, really good. I knew there was one, though. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> safe, safeguarding. Um, petals or, you know, a, a, an actual teaching, sorry, not petals now, education and training, a teaching qualification of some kind, even a, a watered down version, but something there. Those things, I think that then we can we can start having something that's structured um which leans towards the way it works in uh, norway amongst other places where it, it's a college course 
and you you train to become a driving instructor rather than decide to and then they get people coming in as a as, a, as an actual career i think the other danger is it's not a career because it's seen as being you teach learner drivers and you get your badge and then you do you know a, pe- a pe- piecemeal job a you know step by step job of you train them and you make yourself redundant and then you train the next one and actually we should have more opportunities we should have recognized structures that you you can gain accreditation that is recognized and and those sorts of things because otherwise you you only ever grow it for you or you grow it for your pupils and that recognition isn't there pupils might think you're brilliant but i've had them come from you know an instructor that i i know has a hell of a reputation and i could fill my diary with the pupils that I end up helping after they've had them. Um, I'm not mentioning names. And, um, but then they come from them and they think that they're brilliant because they've got no one to compare it with. Mm. We've all had those. So if you don't know what good is, how's a driver going to become a good driver if they don't know what a good driver is? How's a driver going to choose a good driving instructor if they don't know? We don't know what that is. We like to think it's us. And I think everybody, wherever they are inside that matrix of driving instructors, they think they're good at what they're doing because otherwise they wouldn't do it. I can't imagine someone getting up and going, well, I'm a crap driving instructor. I'm going to go and do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, and you, I, don't, I don't think you get the, the the benefits, the feedback. You don't get paid enough to, to do it if you hate it. Um, you know, you'd, you'd be looking elsewhere, I would think, as the one who hasn't got a tuition car. <laughs> Yeah, I think that all the stuff you said there marries well with what Sarah said in the sense of no one that isn't a driving instructor knows any of that. And I think that's a big point. We don't talk about our industry. No one talks about our industry publicly. I go back to what I said at the start of the show when I gave the example about another instructor complaining that an instructor had written a post aimed at at learners, I think it was. And it's like, well, if we all did that, would start to learn. And, and you said about just then about people thinking they're crap at job. And I don't think anyone's going to think they're crap at the job, but I think there's, uh, and this will be for every profession admittedly, but there'll be people that don't give a crap if they're any good or not. That You know, at the minute, as you've said, we can turn up to work. You can work as many hours as you want. So there'll be people in this job that are just doing it to for a year to earn a load of money and do what they want to do. But I, I think, again, a lot of it comes down to perception the way we perceived them. And when I'm talking about that, I'm not talking about the extreme cases like the, the, the instructors that do inappropriate stuff, the instructors that do illegal stuff. You get that in every profession. You know, you've got people watching pornography in the House of Commons at the minute. You People going to parties and breaking all kinds of laws like front and centre. That doesn't particularly put people off becoming an MP. But so it's not the extremes I'm talking about. It's, it's a general perception of the, the way we are. It's things like not having a clean car. Now I can't clean my car at the minute. Physically I'm unable to clean it and I can't sit in it to go to a car wash. So like it's, it, it bothers me that I don't, I don't want to be driving around in a, in a scruffy car, but that's, it's just one thing, but why aren't we making sure that every car we've got is shiny? Because we've all seen it. And look, I, I know things happen. You know, you go do a, a, a lesson on rural roads. I got it out then. A lesson, a lesson on rural roads. Hey, I'm proud of myself. Um, <laughs> you're not going to be sparkling clean after. So it's not every time. It's the, the consistency. But it's just the, the perception of everything. And I think that's what it comes down to. Why would 
someone wanted to be a driving instructor, when we put ourselves across the way we do, why would we? And I think that's it. I I remember my first driving instructor more than my second because my first one was an absolute imbecile. He made me feel useless, like I couldn't drive, like my opinion was invalid. That was my take on instructors. I assumed that my second one was just, I got lucky and got a, a random good one. And I think that, that, like you said as well, you don't know how good your driving instructor is because you're only having one generally. And I think that it's up to us to show what a good driving instructor is. It's aspirations, isn't it? And yeah. There isn't one. Because actually, we work to a minimum standard of let's get past the driving test. And however you try to make them safe, that's in their hands. You can do the best job in the world. They can only take it if they want to. And you hope that you give them enough. And you hope that they've listened enough and you they get that voice in their ear um you know if if it all goes wrong and one of my one of my pupils who was a nightmare to teach and he knows it um and we nearly had a row which is a really unusual thing for me because I'm fairly chilled um but he just he was he thought he knew what he was doing and you know real bit of a terror and we did manage to work together to to improve on it phoned me up three, four months after he passed his test to say, I just nearly crashed. Country road, coming down, down, you know, national speed limit, car coming the other way. We both hammered to a stop. No one hit anyone. Big bloke got out the other car and came over and I legged it with my friends in the car because I didn't want to fight. Um, he said, and I pulled over about a half mile down the road and I phoned you. Firstly, that's awesome. It's only happened once in that particular type of thing, which is either good because they're not having those incidents um, or bad that they don't feel they can phone me. Um, you know, I've had others that have come back afterwards, but he he started with it's a national speed limit road and that he wasn't speeding, but he followed it immediately with, but I was driving too fast. So there's another win. And at the end of it all, after he'd actually talked himself through it, didn't need me i said really appreciate the fact that you you wanted to phone me i just said why me yeah you could have phoned anyone why 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 was it me he said it was you or my mum and you can't take my keys away (laughs) so it was you know we want to be that person that actually there's there's something there that i was the solution to his driving issue and and i think we can be but I get more phone calls of not necessarily from ex-pupils, but for just from people I know, I get more phone calls saying I'm having an argument with my other half about the highway code or with people at work or whatever it is, or I've got a speeding ticket. How do I get out of it? Um, or, you know, those things, I get more calls about those than I want to improve the quality of my driving, which is sad. Yeah. So, the aspirations of drivers, the aspirations of what we do, that those things, I think, until we start aiming at a maximum standard of some kind, we're always going to be fighting against the tide. Or or uh, assessment. So like that goes back to what I said, doesn't it, about you get your driving licence and that's it, no more training. 
why can we not maybe do um, when our photo licenses are up for renewal, we have to do an assessment with a driving instructor, get signed off. And there you go. You can have your license again. Why, why can that not be a thing? And then it will be on people's minds a little bit more and they might then be a little bit more proactive about it themselves. Or, or uh, using insurance and, and insurance companies give you discount. I wholeheartedly agree with those ideas. I think the, the but I want to draw it back to us for a second. So while we can't enforce that um, drivers do this, you know, we can campaign, we can, you know, get a petition that 300 instructors can sign and everyone else ignore but we can't enforce it so what we could do potentially is you kind of mentioned there chris um, insurance incentives we could offer some you know whether it be we take a a 17 year old and we're happy to give their parents slash parents uh, a 90 minute free assessment you know why can't we do that yes we're then giving away a free assessment, but potentially we're helping the parent, we're helping the learner, we're helping keeping the road safer. Or if you don't want to do it free, you could do it reduced. Or, you know, free assessments across the board. Wednesday evening at 7pm, I'm going to give a free nightmare lesson to everyone. Any any full licence holder, just get in touch with me beforehand. I guarantee you now, you will get shitloads of work from that. Not the free lessons, but you will get, so much advertising from that, from doing that. I'm going to edit this out of the podcast and I'm going to start doing it myself before I put it on the podcast. But there, there's something we can do to incentivize it. Um, and, but again, if you start doing that, that's making our industry and our profession look better. It's, you know, when I had um, the, 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 the NASP on the show, Lynn Barry said on there, if she could change something about our industry, as I refer to it, she would change it to being called a profession. I don't think we can call ourselves profession. The more I think about this, because we're not professional. And by that, I don't mean everyone, but there's a large part of our industry slash profession that isn't professional. But doing things like that changes that. So I think I'm going to throw this question to you, Sarah. Would if would you recommend a driving instructor? Uh, would you recommend our job to someone that was at school now i know they can't do it till they're 21 but in terms of you know career prospects in terms of future job would you recommend it um yeah i would actually one sorry i'm getting the dog um one of um my old pupils um actually asked me about how can she train to be a driving instructor you know when can she start she was she was too young at the time um but we did have um a discussion about it because she really liked what we did in the car and she really liked the rapport that we had and um the way that her learning um was developed she really really enjoyed that and she wanted to pass that on to other people um so yeah that is something that i i, I would you, you have to be a certain sort of person you have to be able to get on with people i see chris laughing um <laughs> um but yeah I would I would I would do it yeah I mean I um, I have my own personal experience from working in a college before I did this so I was working I worked at West Kent College Chris in Tunbridge um and I um I worked with sort of 16 year olds upwards to I don't know what they were 2021 um so I had um quite a good rapport already with that sort of age group plus I had children of my own age so I I knew how to deal with people of that age um and I I think that would 
I don't know whether people would want a young driving instructor. I know that sounds really strange, doesn't it? Um, but would there be an element of they might be able to, you know, they would have a better rapport maybe with people of similar age, um, not some, you know, old fuddy-duddy hormonal woman sitting next to them rather than, you know, a 25-year-old who knows the same music, uses the same socials, you know, has a bit more in common with them, then it might seem a little bit more of a, um, a, a pleasant experience for them rather than somebody of, of my age. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, a uh, 21-year-old is definitely going to understand a 17-year-old better than I would. But I'll, I'm going to follow that up with another question for you then. So how would you sell it? So you've got the someone coming towards leaving school and they've come to you for a suggestion and you've said driving instructor because um because it's um you have to be really creative you have to think on your feet you have to um be adaptable you have to use your brain an awful lot more than i anticipated having to use my brain um uh, it, it's and it's just really fun it's just a really fun way to earn a little, you know, every lesson, even though we're doing the same things sometimes, every lesson's different. What what other job gives you that where you where your work your working day can be different from you know start to finish? You're never never doing the same thing twice, even though you're doing the same things. Weird. Chris, do you think that anyone that isn't a driving instructor would look at our job and think it's fun? Because <laughs> I'm sure we all do. I know I do. I love it. As that young, relatable driving instructor, yeah. <laughs> it was when I hit twice my pupil's age that, you know, that, that one hurt. Um, but uh, it's, I, I think, I love the job. As a driving instructor, what a weird bunch of people. <laughs> Un, unemployable is possibly the word that is why we're self-employed. Um, or can't fit into a box or can't work for other people, all of those factors, we've learnt that we need to be a driving instructor. We, we've figured out that we need the things that it gets sold on, because we know what it gets sold on. It's a silly question. Um, it gets sold on. Work the hours that you want. Be your own boss and earn £70 million a year, uh, whatever the current figure, I don't know. Um, that's not as bad as it used to be. We we we're all been around long enough to remember it, and it's. I think that you know what it gives us isn't necessarily going to be right for a uh, the average twenty whatever year old. Um, I think yeah, possibly the examiner role would be more so. Um, you know, I'd be more inclined to tell them to have a look at that government pension, um, pretty decent working hours. You might have to work the old Saturday at the moment, but, um, you know, it, it, it's, I'm not sure mortgages, bit of a nightmare. I know a guy, uh, DITC members get discount and those sorts of things. I'm not sure if I would recommend it. And I love the job. Um, and 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 I'm I'm happily in in that box of Mavericks, um, and yeah, I, I don't think I would. I, I don't think I, I I would promote it in that way to to those people, and and that's possibly the wrong thing because it could be a great job for them and they might love it. I I just wonder if there's enough um, life skill 
coming through. And that's not knocking, because I, I know some really good young instructors. But they fit fit in with the Maverick community quite well. You know, they, they, they aren't necessarily the ones that would be doing it elsewhere. They tend to be the quiet ones as well. Um, they're, they're not the vocal lot. Um, and that's not a bad thing. You know, uh, that, that isn't a, a criticism, just an observation that they tend to be the, the slightly more quieter ones that when I've been involved in the training of them. Those those sorts of people coming through. Um, so even though you wouldn't necessarily recommend it to a teenager as the first, you know, what they want to do, if you like, would you still want it put forward as an option? Because the minute it's not, it's not spoke about anywhere. Definitely, yeah. I, 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 it should be an option, um, but that that pushes one of one of my buttons of you know one, once I've I've helped uh, other people to improve the driving instructor industry and. And the world's a better place. Um, my other major thing in life is that we have young people coming through with the most opportunities that there have ever been and the least guidance. So I think better information and, and options there, as long as it's delivered in an understandable way, 100%. I'll go back to the fact that we don't know what being a driving instructor is and we do the job. <laughs> Um, yeah, just, just on that with the guidance, um, I I think it's on gov.co.uk. Uh, gov um, there's somewhere on there you can go in and type in all, fill in like a form, all your details and your preferences, and it'll come up with uh, the ideal job role for you. And I did it uh, last year. My first uh, job was a boxer, and my second was a librarian. Florist. Oh, there you go. I should have been a florist, apparently. I actually can see that. You're quite flamboyant at times. So, but yeah, but I'm a like boxer and librarian. There's nothing. How? What? I don't know. But I think that again, this comes down to perception. I think a lot of it in that. Again, we can't necessarily control what the schools do, what the schools say, what the government does. We can control what we do. So, if if I. If the way we put ourselves across improves, hopefully more people or people might start to see it as a first choice rather than a last choice. But I'm going to sort of throw this over to you as, as a last couple of questions, if you like. I'll go with you first, Chris. How can we change? I shouldn't ask you how can we, because that's a loaded one. First of all, do we need to change the perception of, of our industry slash profession? And if so, how? Um, yes. I don't think we can change the perception of it necessarily. I think behaviour is the key. So if, if we change what we do, um, you want a simple thing. Let's all stop using ADI. Fine, it's the government title. doesn't matter. Let's call ourselves professional driving instructors. Let, let's go with that. So, so that we are, you know, there's been a move towards coach, but no one quite understands that. And if you put, you know, I'm 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 a a driving coach, that's not good for Google more than anything else. But professional driving instructor, I if I could get to the point where the uh, customers are searching on in the internet for professional driving instructor, I'd say we would have won. We we we'd be on the right on the right tracks. So um, if we're going to go with one thing, let, let's change that. The, the other thing would be 
stop looking at minimum standards, stop learning test routes because it's the thing that annoys me tons. I don't care if there's a difficult road. Um, let's just teach them to drive properly. Uh, the best thing that happened for me was when they changed to having the sat-nav and all the test routes changed. And local instructors were listing turn by turn what was going on. I was sat there with my fingers in my ears going la 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 because I don't want to know. Because knowing those test routes, which is what I was told you had to do, and I'd, you know, I'd learned them and, and I did know them, was the worst thing I ever did for my training. Because I started pulling punches or you know, started going, we've, we've got to go to this bit. And then being, having that that change, you know, that that really works. So moving away from minimums and tests and, and all that rubbish and being professional in what we do, I think that would that would be the, the best thing we can do. And then perception will follow. Cool. Um, yeah, so uh, same too, Sarah. Anything to add to that? Do you agree? No, I yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, and I also really like your idea of giving free assessments to parents. I think that that would be um, a really good way of letting the general public know what happens in our cars and, um, you know, the standards that we are trying to instill on their children. And, and it might make them think about their own driving, which is then, you know, it, it can only be a good thing in the long term, can't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I like that idea. It was mine, admittedly. but it, it did I did. I, I wrote it down. So yeah. it's 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 going to be my idea from now because it's written down here. The the thing I will say with that 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 is the sort of idea that will generate abuse from instructors and other people. Um, but I think it's one that that separates you, you from the crowd, and and I think that the, if people take that on board, it's not necessarily sure it's something I could actually accommodate right now, ironically enough. But if other you know if people take that on board, or not necessarily that idea, but those sort of ideas whether it's getting in a community group or forming your own community group or whether it's going to the schools or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, I can't, you know, I'm out of ideas now. Um, then it, that's where we start to stand out a little bit. And like you said, that's changing behaviour. So rather than, than being the instructor with a dirty car, with a top box whose name you can't see because it's that faded, um, the one that's got the reputation for using the phone on lessons, the one who says only go with him. If, or if you go with him, make sure you wear jeans, not a skirt. You know, whatever it is, it, it minimises them and pushes the quality. You know, the, the, there's that old cheesy old phrase that the cream always rises to the top, and it does as long as you're consistent being the cream. That sounds weird. Um, but as long as you're consistent the cream, you will rise to the top. I'm sticking with that. Um, <laughs> Oh dear, yeah, that can go as the quote for the show. Uh, all right, cool. Uh, while you've got the, uh, <laughs> I've killed Chris. While you've got the the platform, is there anything else you'd like to discuss? Anything else you'd like to cover, Sarah? Um, mm, not really, to be honest with you. It's been really lovely chatting to you both. It's been nice to see you, Chris. Yes, um, I, I did see you at the meeting. I, I messaged you, didn't I? And I said that I was too, I was too scared to actually come and say hello. But next time, I definitely will. So this has been really lovely. So no, I haven't really got anything to add, actually. It's a very scary man. Uh, anything you would like to add or cover, Chris? I'm not scary. Um, <laughs> I generally, generally like it when people come and say hi and we have a chat. Um, there, I, there's exceptions to that. <laughs> um, but the, most of them know who they are and, you know, it's mutual. But, uh, no, I, I 
I love being able to put the world to rights. Um, and then I love the feedback. So please, anyone that's managed to listen to the end, um, you know, and, and uh, we've had some lovely feedback recently and it, it really um, helps guide what people are thinking and, and understanding of that. So, yeah, um, keep it coming. It's, it's great. But thank you. Just as a little tidbit for, for you guys, because you said that and for the for listeners now, um, podcasts notoriously have a massive drop off the listenership as the episode goes along. Um, if you have over 30% of your listeners listen at the end of the show, then you're doing really well. And, and this has this podcast in particular has really good sort of consistent listenership all the way through the episode. It has very little drop-off. There are some episodes that have got like 80 90% listenership all the way through, which is crazy good. So there will be people uh, listening to you, Chris. And, yeah, just one final thing on that. If you do see Chris kicking about, he will sign the book for you. Is it a monster? <laughs> Turn up with that. I, I call that devaluing the book. Because <laughs> it's your signature, a signature. So, no, because it's mine. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Okay, uh, no, I really appreciate you guys joining me. So, uh, Sarah, where can people find you? Uh, our Instagram is my go-to, um, uh, SB Driving on Instagram. Um, I don't have a website, which I probably should. Uh, I am on Facebook as well, Sarah Bulldog Driving, uh, but I'm not really keen on Facebook and I don't really use it that much. I have it because I kind of have to. But, yeah, Instagram is really where, where you can find me. Definitely want to follow because it's a lovely account to follow, as I mentioned previously. And, Chris, where can people find you? The DITC is the uh, the best place um, on uh, Insta, Twitter, Facebook, and the DITC.co.uk, which is the T-H-E, DITC.co.uk. Yep. And you can find me at www.theinstructedpodcast.com, all the socials, including TikTok now. I've now got an Instructed Podcast TikTok, uh, the is underscore instructor underscore pod i think it is um and at the minute it's just clips of shows but there'll be a lot of fun stuff going up there you might even get me doing a dance or two now and again have you have you got enough to do a live yet no i've only got like 10 followers on that one uh we need to get you up to enough to do a live and we, we can live together because i've now hit my live threshold what's the um, live threshold where it's 800 i think it's about there it it just suddenly appeared um my other half is the tiktoker because uh, right. she's tiktok famous but i um yes so i'm going to start doing some theory training lives so we could you know get you up there and yeah excellent well uh, appreciate you both joining me today and i wish you both a very merry week and you have a good one bye the instructor podcast with terry cook talking with leaders innovators experts and game changers about what drives them